good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, ambassador of 805 Connect and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and encouragement. Thanks to our podcasting partner, Pull String Press, for this great studio, and to Patrick, my co-host, who's not here today. So Patrick's on his honeymoon, so we want to wish him uh, uh, well wishes. So that's uh, fantastic. So today's guest is Tim Bauer. Tim, how are you? I am outstanding. I, I, I think that Patrick should be jealous of us. We're on the real honeymoon getting to chat inspired <laughs> this morning. So. That, that might be a tough to one. Patrick, for sure. He, he's in Hana, and I've been looking at pictures, and they look, they look pretty amazing. But, but you're right. We're going to have a great conversation. Tim, we, we met because you're, uh, you're working with my wife, Kimberly, uh, on a TED Talk. Is that right? That is right. I have the pleasure of working and being coached by... Kimberly, and she is she's amazing. I'm sure that uh, you know Mark can back me up on this one. She is a remarkable coach and individual, and uh, has been an absolute pleasure to work with. So, yeah, I'm enjoying that immensely. Yeah, I don't. I want to. We'll we'll stay away from your TED talk because I I know that people uh, are going to want to listen to that. That's uh, when is that's August 20th coming up. Uh, in Santa Barbara, but people could be listening to this um, six months later. So uh, we'll we'll put a link, uh, a post a, a retroactive link to your talk uh, once that gets posted. So, so Tim, uh, you know, I, if someone goes and looks for you, you're tinyertim.com, right? That's right. That's my website. And I've, I'm so I uh, you know why don't you, why don't you give us the quick story on on how how you came to be known as Tiny or Tim? Absolutely. So uh, when I was growing up, I was always uh, tall and heavy for my age. I, I like to tell people that I was born at an average weight, and it was pretty much downhill from there. And so when you get to be an individual who was six four, four hundred and forty pounds, uh, people would often jokingly call me Tiny Tim. Mm. That was, you know, mm. oh, hey, Tiny Tim. And, right. and I, right. you know, like so many uh, morbidly obese people, I learned to be self-deprecating. And so I adopted the moniker, and I really enjoyed it. In high school, uh, I also went by Notorious T-I-M, which, you know, uh, was <laughs> Since a you're great name on two levels. Yeah. You know, first of all, because I... I love 90s hip-hop, and, and second of all, because, you know, I, I definitely look like the Notorious B.I.G. And so, uh, you know, I really uh, adopted that moniker of Tiny Tim. So when I first started to lose weight, which I know we're kind of advancing in that conversation, I adopted the moniker of becoming a Tinier Tim. That was kind mm-hmm. of my tagline. Mm-hmm. And so I became Tinier Tim. That was my my new uh, my new mention, and I'm still six four. Thank goodness, you know I didn't want to lose any of those inches, but um, have since lost all the other inches. So, so when I you know, if someone Google's you and goes and looks, well again we'll have links in the show notes. You know you you've done you've done remarkable. Uh, I mean, and and you've heard that, and and there's so much photographic evidence on your site um, that it, you know really understands the difference between, you know, that visual of you at 440 and your visual now at 199. 
Uh, it's, you know, it's striking. Where I want to take this, because there's, there's a lot that people can read about that, but I'm, I'm really curious about this in, in business. I mean, we're, we're an entrepreneurial podcast, and we, we talk about that. How has this affected you as a businessman? Because I mean, I've got to figure that's pretty profound. Absolutely. So I will say that there's no part of my life that is left unaffected by this transformation. Right. And business was one of the first and most noticeable ways. So when I first started my descent, I was working in sales uh, in one of the most competitive sales arenas I've ever been in. And so let me set this up for you. Um, and hopefully no one loses their lunch when I tell them what kind of sales I was in. I worked for a construction company that did uh, fire restoration work. So we right. would go in after a fire and rebuild a home. And you're based in and Southern California, which, you know, unfortunately we have a lot of fire. So there, there's a lot of work for that kind of business, yeah? Absolutely. But the way that I would actually get my business at that time is I was one of, many companies that operated by subscribing to a service that would notify you as a local fire was actually taking place. Mm. And so the wildfires are on the news, but what you may not realize is that every single day there are like single family dwellings that just mm. have fires because of electrical issues, et cetera. Sure. You know, the fire department, of course, stays busy. And that's not something we like to think about because we want to be able to sleep at night, but fire, houses catch on fire all the time. And so what would happen is when a house would catch on fire, we would get a text message saying, you know, somewhere in Los Angeles, there's a fire. And there would be anywhere from 50 to 60 different companies that really? would get that notification and drive out to the house as the fire was occurring. And we would really? be on site. At, oh, my gosh. It's, it's an insane business. And we would be on site as the fire department was putting out the fire. And then we would approach the homeowner once the fire department cleared the scene. Fifty of you never go up all the to, to actually visit with the homeowner to talk to them. As I mean, literally, ten seconds after the fire department drives away, they're they're being approached by the first person. And it's a systematic thing where there's kind of these unwritten street rules where you go up one at a time based on the order that you arrive in. Really? So huh. you can imagine. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in. You know, people that have been in sales are used to competitive situations, but you literally have 50 to 60 competitors standing on the sidewalk outside waiting for you to finish your sales pitch so they can go in next. I've, um, and, you know, the, the, our listener may have, may be familiar with this phenomenon, but this is a, this is a huge news bulletin to me. Oh my gosh. So yeah, let's talk about it, that. Let's talk about that competitive sales. <laughs> I could imagine you're all lined up there and this is, like someone's just had their house burned down. Like this is not the time to go. Uh, they're not in a friendly sales frame of mind, right? For sure. I, I have definitely been called every name in the book. I bet. Um, at this point. And so uh, when I was 440 pounds approaching in this scenario, you know, I was still, I was still good at my job. I, I, I still had the same personality. I was still gregarious. But overnight, the year after I lost my weight, as compared to the year before, my sales went up by over 100%. No kidding. Now, I, I've, I've thought a lot about this. And, and, you know, initially, the reaction is, well, that might be because, 
you know, I'm more confident or I have more physical energy. Maybe I'm working differently as a result of the weight. And, right. and that is partially true. But the big thing was that everyone just treats you a little bit differently when you're heavier. And when you're, when you're that kind of an individual, I found that kind of respect. And when I would stand up to give, you know, a talk in church or a talk in, in business, and I, I, I've done a lot of public speaking, you know, I would, I would talk about, you know, things like not accepting limits and overcoming your setbacks and, and becoming a greater individual while I was so clearly suffering from a huge addiction and a huge problem. And it was, you know, without, no pun intended, the elephant in the room anytime I was up there. Do you think it's a, it's a, there's a bit of a a credibility thing that happens when you're talking about personal improvement and they look at you and you feel like you're being judged? You know, I, I wonder if it's taking place in the audience's mind, but I, what I really think is happening is the speaker in the back of their mind, it's in their subconscious and there's no way for you to speak without that in some way influencing your message or the tone of your message you know deep down or you feel deep down like a fraud and the audience is like a dog you know they can smell right. that kind of fear absolutely and that kind of insecurity inside of you so did you did this transition so the the, the weight loss the significant weight loss you know is over a couple of, it was what, what do you say it was 200 pounds one one pound at a time or one pound how did you you say that's in a clever yeah. way so what I tell people, and, and oftentimes when you're that heavy and things have gotten that, that out of control, the idea of weight loss is daunting. You know, the idea of losing 240, 250 pounds is a daunting subject. And it, all, it almost feels like, you know, I don't know if you can remember when you were a kid and you go into your bedroom and it's just completely flooded with stuff. You know, there's socks everywhere. There's, there's breakfast from six years ago, you know, uh, sitting somewhere in the room, you can smell it. And you just, you you tell your mom, I I don't know where I'm going to even start. And so your mom walks in and she says, well, start with that sock and then, and then pick up that shoe. Right. And, and so what I tell people about weight loss is that when I, when I lost my initial 225 pounds, um, which is what I had lost prior to my skin surgery, um, is I didn't lose 225 pounds. I lost one pound 225 times. It was a series of small sequential efforts that led up to something monumental. And I, I teach my clients, I teach you know everyone that I can that everything that we do, whether it's business or whether it's, it's personal, we, we measure these small incremental actions because that's how you lose weight. You know, oftentimes people that have a significant amount of weight to lose or undertake a large project, they fail somewhere in the middle because, you know, they're just, they've, they've done 50 of the 100 steps involved and they get tired and they get overwhelmed when they just need to focus on that next one, the next step, the next step, the next step. Um, I'm a big fan of, of David Allen's getting things done methodology. Exactly. Breaks everything you do into individual actionable items that lead to something grandiose. Had you um, been aware of David's work before this and, and this was a perfect way to apply it? 
Yeah, I've, I've, I've been a, a practitioner of getting things done for a number of years, and I've, I've been a big fan of his stuff. And it's kind of funny, you know, it's, I'm reminded of, of The Karate Kid, which, in my opinion, is one of the greatest American films of all time. There you and go. And if you recall, like, Daniel goes to Mr. Miyagi to learn karate. And if you don't know this film, first of all, you should watch it. Second of all, I'll tell you. He goes there, and Mr. Miyagi, who's supposed to be teaching him karate, puts him to work on the house, right? He, yep. he goes out, and he has to, to sand the floor and paint the fence and wash, you know, what is unexplainably how this this Okinawan man in the middle of nowhere has like 85 classic cars for some reason, which is a plot hole they never really explore. But um, he does all this work, and then at the end he starts to complain. He says, I thought I was going to learn karate. Mm -hmm. But what happens is he says, let me show you. And, and he teaches them how to wax the car motion. Yep. Wax on, wax off. Block a punch. Yep. Exactly, wax on, wax off. He teaches them that's how you block a punch. And paint the fence is how you block you know, upper and higher punches. Yep. And I think that getting things done in everything that we find, you might read a business book and it's all about how to maximize productivity. But those types of lessons apply absolutely everywhere. They're like waxing a car. You're blocking punches without even knowing it. Did you, was there a, con well, I'm going to, first question, w tell me about the exact moment when you said enough's enough this has got to change. Absolutely. So I will tell you that anyone that is heavy as I was has been to this rodeo a few times. If you want to know about how to go on a diet, the best person you could ask is someone who's 200 pounds overweight because they have probably tried every single diet on earth. So, you know, from South Beach to North Pole, I had done everything under the sun. And, you know, I can think of three times in particular where I had tried to lose weight and failed. And when I was in when I was in high school, you know, um, I had tried to lose weight for the only reason a boy in high school ever gets out of bed. Of course. And that was because of a girl. Yep. And you know, I, I I did it for the girl, but she liked my best friend because he had something I didn't have. He had abs, and um, so she ended up with him. And when she was gone, so was the desire. So I stopped. And then, you know, I, I, was, I was working somewhere, someone had lost weight, and I thought maybe he could help me, and he didn't really help me, so I just gave up. And then the third time was for my, the birth of my first daughter, and she was born, and I said, okay, now this is the time. You know, we've all done right. this where, you know, we have a kid or a grandkid, and we say we've got to get healthy because we've got to be there for the kid. And my daughter did the most selfish thing on earth. She, she loved me even though I was morbidly obese, you know? which was completely rude of her, you know, because she was my inspiration. She wasn't supposed to like right. me unless I was healthy. You know, that Thank was God she did, though, right? For her. Like, that's what's yeah, great about, exactly. great and, and about family, crazy, right? Of course. Exactly. And, and so family loves you no matter what. So if you're losing weight for family, you're probably not going to last there either. So this time, this time was different. And so I am I'm preparing a lesson for a course that I was I was teaching, I was going to go up and give a talk about overcoming the things that beset us. And like so many productive individuals, uh, I, I procrastinate so badly sometimes. And I waited until the last minute. I, I pull out the lesson manual that the professor had been using, and I start looking for an object lesson to open with, you know, some kind of metaphor or story. Sure. And they had suggested this one 
where you take five tennis balls and you write on them the names of the things that these kids might be struggling with in their first year of college because I was addressing freshmen. And, and then you throw all five at a kid and he can't catch him. But if you throw one at a time, you know, they, they hmm. can handle it. And the idea is you handle your challenges and your obstacles one thing at a time, like the weight loss. You and know, I was inspired by this. Yes, and so so that's so what you did was it that's where you got the one the one pound at a time. David Allen had a partner uh, for many 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 years, a guy named Russell Bishop, who um, I recently met here in Santa Barbara, and we had a long talk about getting things done and action to do lists because I'm 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 seeing the uh, my to do list is two hundred and 25 things and I got one I got it one thing at a time so I'm making a a nice you know connecting the dots between a massive to-do list and weight loss that obviously different but what um, Russell said was he instead of calling it a to-do list he called it next action like what's the next Mm -hmm. action I need to do and he also was very clear, and we've talked a lot about this on the show around purpose and why and intention. We've and we've attacked that from lots of different angles. Was there a a why there? Did it was it coming to grips with that why and purpose and intention that gave you? Because you, you, dude, you had to have some resolve, like you said, you've tried every diet. So, yes. so let's get help us understand because I think all of us are faced with these huge obstacles, right? It can be weight loss, it could be lose, it could be, hey, you know, I'm buried under, um, you know, financial obligations. Uh, I, w- whatever that is, as an entrepreneur, there's, as entrepreneurs and business people, we we have those. What what? The, again, I'm getting back to there was a there was something. And it had to come from you because obviously it wasn't an external yep. thing. It had to come from you. Tell it, help us understand so, that. So, yeah, what happened, and, and my why came in what I actually ended up writing on those tennis balls. So the oh. book, the, the names of the things they would be struggling with when I looked at them, one of them was, was dishonesty and, and cheating. You know, a lot of kids struggle with that. One of them was sexual promiscuity and adultery. One of them was, was drug use, illicit drug use. Alcohol abuse was another one. And then unhealthy eating habits was listed as one of these five things that these kids would struggle with and take away. And, and seeing unhealthy eating habits listed along, you know, what I had always perceived to be far more grievous mm. things that people struggle with mm. made me realize. And, and so this was my moment. This, this is what happened. I realized I was, I was a fraud. You know, I, I held myself out there to be this, this model citizen, this inspirational person. I had, you know, I had at the age of 20, I had worked as a sales manager and my boss, you know, we had inside salespeople at the time and he asked me to get up at 15 minutes every single morning at the start of each day to inspire them because inside sales is a very difficult position you that bet. beats you down. You bet. Yep. And so I was in charge of basically giving them a reason to make 400 calls that day <laughs> and have 395 people call them a senior. And so, you know, in, in standing up there, I, I learned to be inspiring, but I realized that I was being inspiring without being inspired. And I got to this place where I realized I could be better. 
and I could do more, and I could become more, and I was living this half-life. I was, I was settling in love. I was settling in life. I was settling in business. I had, I had become complacent in everything, and this, this weight was not the disease. It was the symptom, and I had to get to the actual disease, which was settling, and I was done giving up, and I was done settling. And so that was my moment. I'm not going to do it anywhere. And so I started by saying, okay, I'm going to eat healthy. You know, I set some very simple rules for myself, and I realized I'm not settling anywhere in my life ever again. And that was the beginning of entrepreneurship for me. That was the beginning of, of being driven. That was the beginning of really getting out there and starting my speaking, my interviewing. It's what eventually led me to get onto on the television with my skin removal. And everything else came because so I, was the, if, I wasn't if, going to be that. If there was a hashtag, it's don't settle? Don't settle is the hashtag. That is, that is one of my number one messages to people, whether you're obese or whether you're struggling in your business. I do business coaching as well. People settle everywhere. Yep. Good enough becomes good enough. And, and they think that this is as good as it gets and no more. And I love to challenge that thinking. I love, I love looking for the unexplored phenomenon and the unexplored potential in individuals because I found it within myself. And, you know, in my case, I, I found it through eating a lot of broccoli. Some people find it in meditation or, or, you know, on a bungee jump or jumping out of a plane, wherever you find it, you have to find that you're capable of doing something great and, and something more. And you don't have to settle for the life that you've been handed. Did you have a, when I'm working on a project or I want to do some kind of, um, we could call it behavior modification. I mean, clearly this is a massive behavior modification effort. Um, that gamifying it um, really helps you get things done. So we do these 66-day challenges, and I've got a 66-day calendar, and I have the goals written on the calendar, and I know the three things I'm going to I'm going to do these three things every day for 66 days to get towards some goal, towards whatever that goal is. Um, did, what, did you do something like that, that so you could like look, I mean, again to you, the one pound 225 times, did you think about it in that way? Was there, you know, some visual cues that kind of helped keep the intent front of mind? I mean, of course there's a mirror, so you're not gonna get away from that, but still you've gotta do, was there some other little technique you used. Absolutely. I, I would say that I believe in gamification. I, I, I'm, I grew up as a gamer kid. Oh, okay, so the cool. The idea of having metrics and, yep. and having these types of things always played to me. Um, and so I was definitely gamifying. One of my favorite services that, that I used to do this with was, was Fitocracy. And I don't know if you know this problem. What is that? It's, it's called Fitocracy. Huh, what's that? It's a fitness tracking app where you basically level up as you complete certain fitness challenges and you complete workouts. It gives you points, and you hit level one, and they're like achievements if you bench press a certain amount or if you do three lifts. And so I got into photography, and they have all these like little challenges where like if you can swim a certain amount, run a certain amount, and bike a certain amount on a certain day, you get a badge. And so I, I participated heavily in photography and I just loved doing that. That was a big gamification thing for me. And then the other, you know, metric that I really used is about four months in, I, I started writing. Hmm. And writing is, is something that I love to do 
And initially as a kid, I was told, you know, by my fourth grade teacher that I would likely never write or, or speak at a high school level. I was, I was the math kid. You know, I was put in a corner with a math book. Gosh, what a, a nice, a what a nice teacher she was, huh? <laughs> well, in this case, it was a he, and he, he actually, uh, surprisingly, um, well, he, he did inspire me on math, and I, sure enough, you know, I was doing calculus before I was in junior high, and in that regard, you know, I, he did push me in, in that place, but he thought that I was single-minded, and I had a, a teacher in, in middle school who challenged me, and I learned to write, and so I started writing for weight loss. I started updating people on mm. my progress. Mm. And before I knew it, you know, people were starting to follow. And that, that did two things for me. It created a certain amount of accountability. Right, of course. And it also gave me a tribe. You know, people, uh, people write me all the time asking, you know, how can I get help on this? I need someone to cheer me on. I, I don't have any support. Everyone around me is sabotaging my efforts. And, you know, the Internet has given us this singular opportunity to find like-minded individuals, no matter what you're into, right? you right, can find right. a group of people in the internet. I mean, I don't care what kind of sick, twisted, strange things you like. Yep, yep. You can find another person yep. who likes, you know, I'm sure there's a Facebook page for the people that like the taste of stamps. You know, and they just sit around and they talk all day about how much they like to you found stamps, You've found you know, me I mean, out, Tim. <laughs> I was wondering if it was the same Mark Sylvester who ran that group. Yeah. So, yeah, suspicious good for but yeah, I mean I think that writing about my weight loss created a certain gamification as well. Yeah, I um as a matter of fact in the a, a recent sixty six day challenge I, I did thirty minutes a day of writing and that was um, it was un, uh, unexpectedly therapeutic. That's not why I was writing, but it really helped in a lot of different ways. So we, we, we know that journaling is a good thing. Did you find, uh, uh, was there a particular time of day that worked best for you? Like meditation in the morning seems to work best. Was writing at a given time good for you? Yeah, and I would say anytime, anytime you're modifying a behavior to add something to your day, Morning is the best time. You know, it's that, that big rocks example that Stephen R. Covey always cited that if you make time for the things that are most important, then you will make them happen. I, I, loved, I loved Stephen Covey's four-quadrant approach about mm-hmm. sure. you know, things that are important and urgent, they always get done. But things that are important and not urgent, like writing, journaling, meditation, fitness, you know, eating right, those are the first things that we push out of the way even in, in front, like we'll put things that are urgent but not important in front of things that are important but not urgent all the time for some reason, even though those things aren't actually getting us to our mission. The ringing telephone, the, the season finale of the show we love, you know, those things that seem pressing. We've got to be current, but we don't take time for those important things. See, I would, I would definitely say that, that morning is, has been and, and remains the optimal time today. Uh, I actually wanted to get some work done uh, on the TED Talk, and I knew I had a day of meetings, so I set my alarm this morning for 4.30, yeah. and I wrote from 4.30 a.m. to 6 a.m. I, I love that. Uh, people around me say, what, dude, what are you doing getting up at 5.30 in the morning? And I said, because that's all my time, right? I yeah. can get up, and and there's a certain intent that you set at night when you set that alarm for 5 or 5.30, and the intention is I'm getting up early to get something, to your point, that's important, 
and it needs to get done, and the only way I'm going to squeeze some time out of the day is to get it done first thing. I want to switch. Yeah, yes, sorry. I'll say What's in addition to that, like with, with things like the gym, like I, I actually will go on a Sunday, and I will schedule time for those things, and I will put them in my digital calendar. So like the gym, every Sunday I will put it in my calendar, and I actually write it on the chalkboard. I'm engaged, so I want to tell my fiancé, like, these are the days and the times that I will be in the gym. And so, like, even this morning, and she knows when I'm in, when I'm in flow, when I'm, right. when I'm writing or I'm doing something important. Like, this morning, she, kind of, she woke up about 5.30, she comes out, and she sees me writing, she kisses me on the cheek, and doesn't say anything, and just goes. And, and she does that because she understands that I'm in flow, right. and she, she loves me, and she wants to help me, help sustain me in this effort. And so she knows, like, okay, I'm not, not going to bug him at all, and, and once I get done... I make sure that I also take time for her because that's that's another thing that's important in honor. Yeah, you we bet. Neglect is our significant others, and so you know, as soon as I'm done, I go to her and I give her and honor her with you know some time one on one where I'm able to focus and really build quality time into that relationship. Yeah, thirty thirty seconds, well played, uh, in that right. We'll we'll uh, we'll sustain you through the day. Let me. I want to shift a little bit because you you know you've been in business, you've been in sales. It's probably kind of where they say nothing happens till somebody sells something. Um, that's the you know the the tip of the spear, if you will, in business, and kind of the hard part. But you you've been running tinyertim.com, and and I think you're trying to convert that into business. This we talk about the three legs of. In your case, there was a wellness aspect, a fitness aspect, and a nutrition aspect, right, to your, to your transformation. So you, you, know, you, you worked on your fitness through going to the gym. You worked on wellness through, through writing. I'm going to guess maybe meditation. Uh, you're, yeah. you're faith-based, right, so um, going to church. Uh, and then your nutrition, you already said you were, you know, uh, tons of broccoli. Um, I've been thinking about this idea that wellness, fitness, and nutrition as applied to the physical body, that's, there's some obvious stuff there, but as applied to the corporate or organizational body, there are some logical dots that you can connect. Could you, could you, would you, do you see that as well? Like, you know, new, you know the fitness of your organization and the nu- the nutrition, the the wellness, and 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 I think there's a a new way to be thinking about our organizations, and that we focus and to your point to the important but not the urgent because we may not think about the wellness of the organization. We're like, oh, I'll get to that after I get my meet my quota. Do you have a point? Of, can you see where I'm going with that? Do you have a point of view of that? Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think you're spot on uh, with the wellness of fitness and the nutrition. In a business or in a body, the input will absolutely dictate the output. And, and moreover, your ability to address not only the important urgent things, but the important not urgent things as it relates to wellness and day-to-day maintenance of your business is, is, is very apropos. You know, a business falls apart the same way that a body falls apart. You know, slowly over time, you know, the chains of habit are, are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. And I think that that takes place in the business every single day. You know, before you know it, you look down and in the case of fitness, your pants don't fit. And in the case of, you know, business, checks aren't going to clear the bank. 
and and that type of thing takes place through a series of events. You know, we we fall for this narrative bias a lot of the times in business, where we like to trace our success or failures to individual events, when in actuality they tend to be sums of small efforts. And so, I think that for my business, what we do is we have you know key performance indicator reports, the same way that I would weigh in for nutrition, I would or, or for weight loss and fitness. I weigh into my business. So my business partners and I, every single week, we're sending each other reports. This was the activity that we determined was most important, and this is how I performed on said activities. I believe heavily that, same with weight loss, all business reporting should be performance-based. So salespeople, in particular, tend to get focused on how many sales did I make that week. But we all know that, you know, the sun even shines on a dog's rear end some days. And, you know, the number of sales you close on a day is not oftentimes indicative of today's efforts as much as they are indicative of last week or two weeks ago's efforts. Right. And salespeople tend to run into these cycles where they have a heavy prospecting day and don't sell anything, and then they have a heavy sales day and they don't prospect anything. And as a result, you know, when I see someone selling a ton, I congratulate them, I pat them on the back, but my first question is, okay, tell me about what you did to make tomorrow successful also. But you neglected tomorrow in the name of today. And, you know, that is the kind of short-sightedness that, that causes us to run into a lot of problems. And from a wellness perspective, I think that we constantly have to be, you know, taking the blood pressure of a business, taking the pulse, if you will. Um, and then I will say, just to give you an actual girl, example, I think that as businesses and as business owners, we have a responsibility to start caring for the wellness, the physical wellness of our staff, because it also translates into, you know, productivity and profitability. At my company, we started an initiative where uh, we actually pay for half of these prepared meals prepared by one of these fitness meal prep services, and we pay for the company to cater in these meals for the staff. And we're a small company, you know. We've got a dozen employees. You know, we're not a big organization. We're not the most, you know, the biggest company on earth, but we make time and money for this because it cuts down on sick time. It cuts down on workers' comp claims. It builds employee satisfaction, and it keeps them more engaged in the company. And those types of initiatives, that, you know, keep in mind the physical wellness of our employees are, are critical. We, um, we had a conversation Oh, 40 episodes ago, I think, uh, with Tolman and Weicker, with the guys who do the wellness practice there, and I was, I was pleasantly surprised actually at the, the efforts that they go through. And they're an insurance company, and they work with their clients to, you know, to figure out how to improve, you know, through, and and again, it's it's wellness, fitness, and nutrition is those three legs of the stool. And, uh, you know, in their case, it's that's going to uh, have people feeling better about themselves, performing better, but it's also going to, you know, drop your expenses, right, in terms of, you know, people out of the office and all of those, uh, those other kinds of things. Um, what would you, I want to shift again. Uh, one of the things that you said that was interesting when we first started off was, you know, you show up on the, the the curb and there's 40 or 50 people. I just can't even imagine. I mean, I can't imagine that, unfortunately. But how, what is that 
and, and, and you have that experience of 15 minutes a day inspiring people. There's a lot of things that we as salespeople will read to get, get going. Do you have three, like three, if I had three, if I made you do three hashtags or three bullets or three, those three lessons that of, of all, these were the ones that you feel were the most meaningful for people that you talk to about kind of, you know, sticking to it in sales or the things that you could, that will help them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I would say that the, the first thing I would tell people is, you know, when, when I would have a new employee that was underneath me working in the fire chasing business, they would ask, how have you been successful? What have you done well? And I would say, you know, they say, what do you talk about up there? You know, because sometimes you go up there and you end up spending three hours with these people. And they say, you know, what, what, what do you say when you go up there? What do you talk about? And I say, I, I, I've got just a few simple words for you that if you remember this, you will be successful when it comes to fire chasing. If you just talk about this one thing. And they said, what is it? And I said, everything but the fire. You know, everybody wants to go up there and tell them, you know, this is what I'm going to do, and this is why you need me, and this is, you know, we, we've gotten into this, in a heavily competitive environment, people resort to chest pumping and to chest beating. Uh, I was in an insurance office recently that they had a picture of their board of directors playing tug of war against the advertising icons of the competing insurance companies. And there was a cliff in between them, a, a large chasm, and they were literally pulling the advertising icons of the other company wow. to their gruesome death. And this was in the boardroom. I mean, this wasn't hidden in a right. dirt, dirty corner. Part of their core of value, bathroom. right? Yeah, this was like, this is what we stand for, is murdering the competition. That, that is unhealthy for the consumer. It, it, you know, it's funny, in, in, any, in any industry where everyone is out there saying everybody else is bad, the consumer walks away feeling like they're all bad. And so when I go up there, I would, I would talk about everything but the fire. So, and what that really boils down to is, is focusing on the customer, their needs. People don't buy for the reasons that you buy. They buy for the reasons that they buy. And you yep. need to you know, be in a, in a humble place and make it all about them. What's number two? Um, the, second, the, the second thing I would say is, is finding opportunities where no one else sees them. And so the secret to my success in the fire business, when I was out there and there's 50 or 60 people, you know, what are the odds that I'm the one that they're going to pick? I mean, it's not, if we're all equal skill, it's 2%, right? If I'm a little bit better, maybe it's 5%. And, and if I'm incredible, maybe it's 10. I mean, to stand out in that kind of a group of people, it, it's not good. But I'll tell you where I found the greatest amount of success was going to fires that were three and four days old and not being out there when there were 50 people. And I found that those were slipping through the cracks in the eyes of most individuals. And I, I found massive amounts of gold in those places. And the third thing is, is realizing that every opportunity you have, you know, you, you've got to learn from, you've got to develop lessons. Uh, in, in the sales environment, we focus and we tell war stories about all the sales that we made. But we don't focus on the times we didn't get the sale. We don't really drill down and say, okay, what is happening? What is, what is going on here? I mean, a professional athlete, if, if he or she goes into a slump, they immediately hire a coach yep. to start figuring yep. out where yep. they need to tweak their swing. 
and in business, you know, we just say, no, 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 just work harder. You know, you're going to get there. And, and we could even in the fitness industry, you know, like people just say, keep going, keep going, you know, work out harder, you know, do another wad, you know, do, you know, 15 CrossFit workouts a week and things are going to happen. You're, you're going to have a stroke or you're going to have abs. Right, right, you know, right, right. Either, either way, or, you know, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to, to really, you know, look at the losses, look at the mistakes and see what you can do to learn, to grow. And in a lot of cases, I've found that those mistakes are the things that make us better far more than our successes are. Kimberly and my, uh, one, of, one of our master instructors, uh, anytime there is, uh, let's see, he'll just say it's an opportunity to train. You know, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. that thing, that bad thing that just happened. And, and to your point, that there's something to be learned from that and do we and I would tell our listener just look at the last mistake you had or failure and look and say what what can you learn from that we we you're you're absolutely right we don't tend to do that and um I I like that idea of coaching and and as a coach uh, myself um coaches need coaches so I you know I love that Tim guess what We've come to the. We've forty-five minutes again have evaporated. Uh, this oh, this yeah. just a bam went went like that, and we're at the the part of the show where um, I like to put a bow around this. My my listener knows uh, I I do this each show where we you know we've had this great conversation. We've talked about you know just kind of the background on the weight loss. We've talked about I like the tennis ball thing. We've talked about not settling. We've talked about writing and Covey and wellness and nutrition. We want to give a title to this because someone's going to listen to this show. Fan, you know, fans of yours are going to listen to the show. But they're looking through a list of our almost 100 titles now. The title is really the thing. What would we call this show? I'll give you first dibs on it. Mm, first dibs on a title. Yep. I, I would say that... Uh, yeah, I, I know we went with our hashtag of, of, of never settling, but I, I think that I'm reminded as we, as we kind of close towards this direction about, about learning from failures, about living a life of failure that led to a life of triumph. And I, I think back on all those years that I spent struggling with these things, and I'm reminded of a, of a quote from the Buddha that the obstacle is the path. And I, I think that that gives me hope because it teaches me that, you know, everything that I've done, quote unquote, wrong, and every mistake that I perceive in my, in my life heretofore can be overcome. It's just the path that led me here. And it's the path that led to my future where I'm going. And I so love I, that. I think that I would, I would want to remind people that the obstacles you faced are the path to your future. The obstacle is the path. I love that. That's, that's a great one. That's, uh, because the other thing about a good title, and it's it's just, I mean, you write, and, and we all, we write every day whether we're aware of it or not, and we write a subject line for our email, and that subject line is going to determine whether someone reads it or not. And uh, so I, I think there's a lot of power in that, and uh, you, you captured quite a bit. Tim, thanks so much. How, how do people find you? It's at T-I-N-I-E-R-Tim.com, Yeah. Tiny or Tim, pretty much anywhere where people are being social, uh, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, 
I tend to post, I post a motivational 10-minute talk about wellness and fitness oh, every you? Monday on YouTube. Okay. And a great new before and after with thoughts on Tuesdays on Instagram. I love that. So, and, and then, and, and you're turning this into a business so that um, you eventually are not doing the insurance stuff? Or is this just a, another, uh, just a way to kind of give back and be helpful? So, yeah, that was a that was a tough decision that I could go on for an hour about. But Tiny Tim was a labor of passion for a long time. Right. And I, I literally answer every email to this day and every, you know, every message. And I decided, you know, last year to start charging for one-on-one services mm-hmm. because I was doing so much in the business I had to decide. I, I don't know that Tiny Tim will ever become my, my main vocation. I do a lot of marketing consulting. I've been very blessed professionally. But it's it's part of my speaking repertoire. And it's delved into my other careers. My my work in insurance restoration now has led to me being able to give talks about wellness and insurance offices. And so I would say that the three or four things that I do at this point have all become so melded that I, I forget which one I'm doing at any given moment. Don't you so, love don't you love that yeah. when that happens? It's you you you, you uh, are you are on the path. Tim, thank you so much. Uh, good luck on your your TED talk and the and the the path to getting to that red dot on the stage, buddy. I know, I've been there. So um, and good luck to that. So I want to I want to thank you very much. And uh, folks, if you're if you would like to learn more about this, and I suggest you go take a look at tinyertim.com. I want to also thank California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services, and our podcasting partner Pull String Press for this great studio. The 805 Connect project now going into our third year and the 805 Conversations now going into our second year is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. I want to thank them as well. More information uh, on that project at 805connect.com. The way you could help us is um, to rate, write, and review. That makes such a huge difference. I was just listening to Malcolm Gladwell's new podcast called Revisionist History, which is spectacular. And, you know, even a guy like Malcolm Gladwell is like at the end of the show, it's please go rate, write, or review on iTunes. Uh, it, it makes a huge difference to us. And one other thing I'd remind you, if you heard about this show through Tim and you're one of Tim's followers and you're listening to the show, um, we'd, we'd Love it if you looked at the other shows in the list, and if you like them, subscribe. That way um, the shows will automatically be delivered to whichever podcast app you're using, and uh, you'll stay current because we, we produce um, three shows every other week, and then we drip them out um, over that week. So uh, I'd love you to subscribe. I'd love to hear from you personally. I also uh, answer every email. You can send me a note to mark at 805connect.com. So until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.